Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you today after the New England Revolution's 4-1 win at Gillette Stadium against the struggling FC Cincinnati, which followed a 3-2 win for the Revolution over DC United on Wednesday. So a really good week for the Revolution, really, where they've came away from nine points for three games this week. I'm Sean Donahue. Joining me today is Chris Velukas. Chris, how are you doing after that exciting Revs win? Sean, I'm doing fantastic. You know, uh, this past week, my wife and I have been spending time catching up on the show Stranger Things, which has uh, really thrown my brain for a loop. But a uh, getting to watch it, I am, yeah, we're halfway through season two right now. Absolutely loving it. But being able to to watch some Revs games and to get these victories, it's really helped take my mind off things and kind of bring me back to what uh, what's normal. Uh, I've been seeing way too many coincidences from the show and in my <laughs> real life. So I need to get back and focus more on soccer. Uh, tonight, Matt, what a way to get back into it for my brain. Uh I can't believe 4-1, such a fun game. I expected the Revs to win. They did. Uh, couldn't be happier. And, yeah, do a fantastic, Sean. How about you? Yeah, let's be honest. Cincinnati is a pretty terrible team. But uh, I think there's yeah. been a lot of talk about, you know, the Revolution's inability to win games by kind of more than a goal. Every game without Carlay's heel has been a tight game. Um, so there was questions on whether or not the Revs could actually blow open a game like this. And it was very good to see them do that. They were up 3 to nothing at halftime. Came out of the, ha- out of the break a little bit sloppy. Uh, and gave up a goal, and I think there was a, l- a little bit of worry there. This could turn into a game like that New York game back in June where the Revolution um, you were up 3 nothing, and then gave up two goals and kind of had to hold on late. But uh, that was not the case here with a, a great, great showing from the Revolution. Um, you know, After that little bit of sloppiness to start the second half, they really turned things around, scored another goal, made it 4-1, to one, and put this one to bed. Uh, but Chris, what, what was your key takeaway from this one? Uh, I'm, I'm looking straight at, at Scott Caldwell, and I feel bad because... FC Cincinnati didn't have a chance when, you know, the human victory cigar is on the pitch to start the match. Yeah, it's already it's over. Not fair. But no, in all, in all seriousness, like Scott Caldwell played a great game, in my opinion. This is his first start of the season. I couldn't even tell you when his last start was. I probably should have looked that up before we started recording this. But regardless, uh, I was so happy to see Scott, Scott Caldwell out there and performing like we're used to seeing him perform. He was playing with confidence, and he was playing like he's been a starter on this team all season long. And, of course, we know that he hasn't been that starter because Matt Polster's been there. And I'll tell you what, all night tonight, there was not one time where I was like, I I can't wait for Matt Polster to get back. Of course I can't wait for him to get back, but Scott Caldwell did a really good job of not making me wish that that Matt Polster would get rushed back and and, uh, can't wait to get him back on the pitch. Um, so I just wanted to say kudos to Scott Caldwell. My takeaway is uh, he's still got it. Uh, I am so happy to see Bruce uh, entrust him to get a start and to get out there. And, uh, yeah, it, it, granted, you know, you can only work with the team that you're going against. And uh, we've been, this has been the trend for the last few weeks now. The Revs have been facing uh, much more, I would say, inferior opponents, opponents that they should be beating. But uh, Caldwell is still getting it done. Um, or he at least did tonight, and uh, I just think that uh, it, it can't be overstated how how good of a performance he did, given the fact that he hasn't started uh, in probably a year or so. Well, you know what's crazy is you, you say when is the last time he started? 
the last time he started was three straight games in the playoffs for the Revolution. Um, so he went from being a, a Bruce <laughs> Arena regular on a, a, in the playoffs to not getting a single start this entire season, which when you think about it is, is kind of crazy. Um, and what it took for him to get a start in this one, I think, I, I think was that the fact that Cap 2 and Martial looked really bad on Wednesday. Um, we yep. didn't have a podcast after Wednesday's game, but I, I think that's why Caldwell started tonight is A, Postler is out, but B, Captu and Massial really didn't uh, show themselves very well on Wednesday and got subbed off early um, in that game because of their, their poor performance. So that opened up the door for, for Scott Caldwell, who, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I, I've been someone that's saying that he's probably your best approximation of Matt Polster. I think not, not to say he's as good as Matt Polster, because I don't, I don't think he is. I think Matt Polster offers something, at least at this stage in, in Caldwell's career, that Caldwell doesn't. But Caldwell is probably your best, you know, guy to, to give you what Polster does defensively and kind of solidify that defense. And, you know, I still do think that, as good as the Revs' defense has been, that that's probably the weaker side of their team. Um, and when Matt Polster's out and you're losing him on coverage and you're kind of replacing him with, with Masiel or, or Captoom, um, I think you're losing something. And, and like you said, you, you, you didn't miss that as much today with Caldwell out there. Again, it's FC Cincinnati. <laughs> They're a really bad team. Grain so, of salt. Yeah, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But I, I, I agree with you. I thought Caldwell stepped in. Um, really well. He finished the game with one tackle, one interception, uh, committed three fouls, 80% passing accuracy, which for him is actually pretty low. Uh, we usually yep. see him closer to 90%. Um, and one successful tackle and, and really just you know held down the fort well. And I thought McNamara, uh, his partner, looked really good too. And he finished the game with 100% passing accuracy on 38 for 38 passes, which is, is really nice to see. Um, got that yellow card like he, he's been getting a lot lately and got subbed off after that. But um, the two of them together in center midfield looked really good. And, you know, what it did, I thought, was it kind of allowed Boateng and Buchanan more freedom on the wings. Yeah, 100%, I would say that. And uh, just getting to see this partnership that we haven't really seen, especially to start a match, I was kind of skeptical, I guess, at first, not really knowing what to expect. It, you know, we've seen Scott Caldwell get out there quite a few times this year, but it's always been late in the match, and we're always wondering, uh, or at least I'm wondering, especially tonight, uh, does he still have the legs to go uh, the distance? And we saw, of course, he didn't. Uh, he came out in the 62nd minute, and we heard from Naoko Funayama over the broadcast that the reason for that sub was because Scott Scott was getting heavy legs, he was getting tired. And it makes complete sense for that to happen. Uh, and you mentioned McNamara, I'm so glad you did, because McNamara, I thought, had a fantastic game overall, where he wasn't making any mistakes, with the one exception of that yellow card. I tweeted about it. It's it's Tommy McNamara, you're going to get one like obligatory yellow card per match. Uh, it, it almost feels destined to happen. Uh, but overall, I I couldn't be happier with the way that they paired up and the way that they performed. I mean, it was just such a good match for the Revs overall. There was definitely some negatives. We're going to get into those. But overall, it was such a positive performance. There's a, there's a lot of good things to talk about. And and Caldwell and uh, McNamara were two of those points. Yeah, and, and I got to excuse McNamara's yellow card in this one because it was really uh, Dewan Jones that kind of had a turnover and set him up for kind of forced him to take that yellow card. The guy, I blame Jones more for that yellow card than, than McNamara this time. Uh, so but I think it was more I'll taken from the team. I'll also add, too, McNamara is now one yellow card away from getting a yellow card accumulation suspension. So oh, we, good, we do need to look out for that, but... That's that's a uh, worrying because he's been such a key part for the revolution. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that going into the season. I thought he was going to be more of a you know fourth or fifth choice center mid for the revs. But as it's turned out, he's been a, a key piece um, throughout the season at various positions. 
Um, but all, all of that kind of brings me back to, to what my takeaway was from this game. And that's, I think it's official. You can say that this is the deepest team the Revolution have ever had. I mean, it's August 21st, and Caldwell and, and Boateng are just making their first starts, and both of them are proving they can be huge contributors to this team. Um, it's it's kind of amazing how good the Revolution have been, where you know Bruce Arena brought in some guys that haven't contributed as much as you'd hoped, and you know Kaptum and Mafla. Um, but there's been so many places, other you know, so many other places that the Revolution have found depth. Uh, whether it's McNamara, who's been so good for the Revolution when he's played, um, Boateng, who's you know just recently uh, gotten more minutes and looked so good for the Revolution. Um, AJ De La Garza, who's helped out across the back line when he's gotten a chance. And, you know, going back to Mafla, I, I thought Mafla played pretty good tonight. Um, I think this was probably his best game for the Revolution. So it's, you know, there's, there's so many places where the Revolution have depth this year. And, you know, they've needed it with Carles Heel out. They've needed it with Matt Polster out. And to go into a game like this and be able to start, you know, Tommy McNamara and Scott Caldwell, um, might be, maybe your, you know, third and, and fifth choice central midfielders. I don't, I, don't, I have to go through the depth chart and figure out exactly where they fall in it. But, um, and to play the way they played is, is really impressive. And then, you know, Boateng, who m- might be your fourth choice winger, uh, getting a start and, and looking incredibly good. Um, so it was, it was a really impressive performance from the Revolution. And again, showing just how deep this Revs team is. There's been a lot of talk on Twitter about, you know, whether this is the most talented Revs team ever. Um, and, you know, as we talked to Brad Feldman about it when we had him on, and, and I, I don't know that it's the most talented starting 11 ever. It might be. I, I haven't. I haven't you know, crossed that bridge yet to, to conclude that. Um, but, you know, from players one to, I don't know how many guys are on the roster, 27 or whatever it is, it's the most talented roster ever, I would say, uh, top to bottom, no question about it. There's never been a Revs team with this kind of depth before. Yeah, you know, it's pretty fascinating to see, especially players that are far, much farther down the depth chart making such an impact and consistently making an impact. It's not just, hey, they came on, they had a good shift, and that was the end of it. It's... Time and time again, we're seeing these players get out there. You know, Boateng's one of those players that we're talking about now where every time I think that we've seen him, it's always been late in the match. He's getting out there. He's really making the best of his minutes, and he's really impressing overall. Uh, again, McNamara, not a player that we expected to start. Uh, we're seeing him really be an integral part of this Revolution team as they progress through the season and as they, you know, continue to be supporter Shield uh, leaders far and away. Uh, Mafla as a guy you mentioned of course Mafla is not meant to be a depth piece he was brought in given a lot of money to play left back uh, hasn't really done a lot of that a lot of that is probably because Dewan Jones has been uh, pretty fantastic so far but given the opportunity tonight Dewan Jones who I thought had a very poor night for his standards uh, over on the right side tonight uh, but that opened up the door for Mafla to get in and play left back and I thought he had a great night uh, nothing spectacular nothing fantastic but it was solid uh he made some good passes you could see that uh he was reading the game and he was playing well and he was uh coordinating himself with the center backs it was nice to see that nice to see the depth and yes we're going to talk about this several times probably tonight but the team that the revolution faced fc cincinnati is not a good team we understand that but you know what this is a game where you go the Revolution should be dominating this match when they put their starting 11 against Cincinnati's starting 11. Well, the Revolution kind of fielded more of a B team or, you know, B and a half, whatever you want to call it, team. And they still dominated, even with the depth out there. So I think talking about the depth is really uh, an almost an understated uh, element to all of this because it's really <laughs> it's something that we're not used to seeing. 
if a key player goes down, the revolution typically crumbled. We saw it last year. Carly's heel went down, and there was nothing else happening. The team just kind of stalled and just kind of did nothing throughout most of the season until he came back. And then they made that that crazy end-of-the-year push to make it into the playoffs. Um, but yeah, the depth, I, I could go on and on all night about it. I know we have other things to get into, so I'm not going to go on about it. But yeah, I, I love your key takeaway. This team is is really, really deep. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to give Boateng's stats in this one because he, it was a really good game for him. He had a goal, an assist, two key passes on top of that assist, 80% passing accuracy, and uh, the most successful dribbles of anyone in the game with four. And he was four of four, so four four attempts to beat guys on the dribbles, four successful. So that was a, a really good showing from him, which, which again kind of leads to the question of why haven't we seen more of him earlier in the season? And Bruce Arena did say, I think midweek, that you know he had some injuries and he was recovering from those and it took a while and... You know, various reasons why he hadn't seen more of them. But, you know, from what we're seeing now, um, he's you know been a great addition to the revolution in just a few games that we, we've gotten to witness his play. I know we've got a, a lot of questions about him that I think we'll so we'll, we'll pick back up on that uh, later. Um, one guy we, we didn't talk about yet that we have to talk about is Adam Buxa, who had two goals and an assist in this one. <laughs> Chris, I know you've been you've been a, a Buxa fan from the beginning. You, you've had some moments where you've criticized his play when it's been deserved. What do you think of his performance this night? Yeah, yeah, my guy, my guy. Adam Buxa, uh, fantastic game tonight for him. Uh, overall, the uh, oh, the whole attacking line and even the attacking midfields areas, uh, I thought just had a really good game. And uh, Adam Buxa really made the most of it. He was playing selfishly when he needed to be. He was looking to make the pass when uh, a selfish move is not warranted. I thought he uh, was seeing the game very well, and he was breaking down uh, Cincinnati's backline, although I will say it's, again, Cincinnati's backline. I was very unimpressed with the, the the lack of tenacity that their backline showed. I know that they have Jeff Cameron, and, of course, there's a lot of controversy about him as a person, but we're not going to discuss that tonight. We're talking about his attributes on the field. He is a, a qualified center back. Uh, a, he's a very experienced center back, and he's played in the top league in the world. Um you expect a little bit more out of out of a, a backline that that boasts a center back of Cameron's caliber. Of course, he's getting older. He's not necessarily going to be the player that he used to be. But still, uh, Buxa really found a way to break them down and to really make it a mess. And it wasn't just Buxa; it was the other players around him as well. But Buxa really made the best of his chances. Two goals and assist. Uh, fantastic, fantastic week from Buxa. I, I couldn't be more happier to to boast about my my books of standing uh that i am tonight so yeah and he had a, another key pass on top of that assist four yeah. shots three on target 77 percent passing accuracy which you know for a striker is pretty good and better than we've usually seen from the rev strikers this season um it was a great performance from adam books my only complaint is the same complaint that i seem to have every week is that he had two goals he could have had more he could have had yeah. more goals yeah. he could, i think i think he could have been the first revolution player to ever record four goals in a game tonight with the chances he had um so you know as good of a performance as it was uh, I, I will have that slight knock is that he had he had chances, good chances to to get a couple more in this one. Um, and then he also had a, a really good header 
um, that Teton made a, I probably botched his name, made a fantastic save on late in the game. Uh, was, so I'll give him credit for that. It was a well-placed header, but there were you know, a couple, he had a number of chances in this game. Um, and so to complain about a guy's finishing when he scores two goals is, is a bit harsh, but I, th- I think he could have had more. Um, so you know, if you want to talk about finishing and, and chances missed, we want to talk about Gustavo Bo too. Yeah. There was yeah. two chances that he really absolutely should have had a goal. I don't know how it didn't go in. And if you look at the stats as well, we're talking about how many missed chances this team had. They only had 2.45 expected goals. They still scored four. I don't know how they didn't have more expected goals because, in my opinion, they should have had closer to seven, eight, maybe even nine goals. That, uh, that number shocked me, the expected goals number, because I also thought that should have been a lot higher. Yeah. But no, but you're right about Gustavo Boas. You know, he had a couple of chances he should have done better with. Hit the post with one of them. Um, you know, he sh- he should have had a couple goals. Um, to to his credit, though, he had four key passes on top of a, a good assist. Um, and you know, would, one of those key passes would have been an, an assist if uh, Buxa had put that header away. Which again, I don't think I think that one I don't blame Buxa for. That was a good header. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was uh, a a good game for for Bo the creator um not a good game for Bo the finisher um yeah. but you know he's he's got his uh goals versus expected goals total um is is very much in the on the good side for him where he's got way more goals than expected goals so he's been very efficient with his chances overall where you can't say the same with uh with Buxa um but but I mean overall it was just a fantastic game for the revolution offense um, we got a lot of questions that are going to get into a lot of the thing, other topics I think we want to talk about. But I, I did want to go off uh, away from the game for a second and just talk about the the injuries that um, the guys that were missing from this game. Um, because like, like we said, the, the depth was tested because a lot of important pieces were missing. Carles Heel uh, was out. We still don't know when Carles Heel is coming back. There's been no you know, time frame given for his recovery, which is really unfortunate because in the past when he's been injured, there has been time frames given. And same with other players. There's typically time frames given. Um, Giassi Zardes is out injured right now for Columbus. And they revealed that he was going to be out two to four weeks. That's pretty standard that that's what, you know, that's put out. Nothing's been put out about Carly's heel. So we still don't know when he's going to be back, um, which is, you know, surprising and unfortunate. Um, and then, Matt Polster and Brandon Bay have missed the past two games. Neither of them are on the injury report. They haven't been on the injury report for either of those two games. Um, Sam Minton asked Bruce Arena about it after the game, and he said they should be good to go in the near future, But which sounds kind of like what he said about Carly's heel when he first went down, and then he wouldn't offer any specifics on their conditions. Uh, it's it's frustrating because you know you, when you ask Bruce Arena about these injuries, he gets the defensive and doesn't want to answer. Um, I asked him about Polster when he went down hurt um, two, two weeks or a week ago last weekend, and he told me, you know, don't don't ask about. I, I would appreciate it if you didn't ask about these injuries all week. We'll give you an update when there is an update. They've never given an update on any of these guys, uh, so all we're left is to ask these questions and, and get kind of get stonewalled from Bruce Arena. I, I don't know about you, Chris, but Bruce Arena's done a fantastic job as coach of the Revolution. But this is one thing that really frustrates me: is you know, it's even Bruce Arena last year would give timeframes on when guys were coming back. I don't know why this has changed. Um, I don't know why Bruce gets so defensive about it, and I don't know why the Revs are being so secretive about it because. I don't think that you know him not revealing this injury status is in any way making the revolution do better because teams don't know what the game plan for. Enough information is out there where teams have kind of known that these guys weren't going to play, right? What am I missing here? I wish I knew. I wish I had the crystal ball that could say what is actually going on. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to not be transparent unless there's something significantly worse than what they want to report or what they want known. And that kind of scares me 
uh, as a as a fan uh, and as someone who talks about the revs. It, it, Carly's heel specifically is such a an integral part of this team. He's such a fantastic player, uh, both on the pitch and just uh, as a fan of the game, just to enjoy a player like that playing. You want to see him on the pitch. And at the end of the day, this is also a business. It would be nice to know the people that are supporting this business, if, if you could let them know maybe what's going on with uh, all these players that they there is such like a monetary investment in. I don't understand what's going on with with these reports. Like you said, I don't see any sort of, you know, player management advantage that Bruce is going to get over other teams, especially when you're you're going up against, uh, you know, punch and bag teams like FC Cincinnati. It doesn't make a difference if you're going to go out there and you're going to play Tico Rivera in the 70th minute. I don't think it really makes a difference that Carlos Healy is not on the on the roster those are games that you expect to win and i mean they are winning but what is going on i i just don't get it. it it's really frustrating to me as well and i'm sure to many of our listeners as well it's just wanting answers nobody's able to get an answer i i don't understand why there's so much so much mystery here it it, it shouldn't be that way in my opinion well, it was it was funny too during the broadcast they were doing their you know their read to, to buy tickets for the rest of the season and, and Charlie Davis said you know catch Carlos Hill the best player in MLS like well will you catch Carlos Hill I don't know I don't know I think he's gonna be back at some point you know soonish but no, nobody knows because no time frame has ever been given it's that to me is is crazy because I mean la- last year he had a significant injury and we were told it was going to be I think three to five months um, and he came back in two and a half and that was great and you you know your expectations were you know we're gonna it's gonna be a while before Carlos heals back the revolution we're gonna have to find a way to to win without him and it might be a little bit struggles but you know he's gonna be back in such and such time frame and you, you have that in your head and now you just have no idea other than you know Bruce Arena saying oh it's not a, it's not a significant injury he's gonna be su- su- good to go soon and then they miss week after week I don't I don't know what to make of it uh, but I, I find it particularly frustrating and it's not something that you really see from other teams in the league um it is something that you see from other teams the craft organization but but (laughs) and that might be part of it too for all we know there could be you know some sort of cahoots between bruce arena and bill belichick for all we know i i don't know we get we could start wearing our tin hats and throwing out all these theories but at the end of the day we still have no idea what's going on i think that's just uh it's it's really a shame I think we're not going to spend time on it, but I do think there are a lot of similarities between Bruce Arena and Bill Belichick and the way oh, they yeah. kind of handle the media and transparency around injuries, um, which which makes them you know good fits to be in the same sports organization. Yes, yes. but also similarities in how much success they've had. So you, go, you, you, I think you take you take it the bad with the good, and the good is is uh, a lot of winning. So you can kind of forget about the bad. But this is just one thing that I I just don't understand. Um, but enough, enough about that. I've gotten that out of my system. Uh, we got a lot of listeners' questions. Before we do, um, I did want to take a minute to talk about our, the sponsor of this podcast, Galasho Kits. Galasho Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to uh, www.galashokits.com today, you can get 15% off your order 
using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at GalacoKits.com. If you're enjoying the Rev season, there are a couple of 2020 away jerseys on there, which I think was a pretty nice away jersey, uh, as well as a 2000 Retro Revolution Windbreaker. Uh, or if you're a big Adam Buxa stan like Chris is <laughs> after his performance tonight especially, um, there's the current Poland away kit available now, and you can wear that to celebrate his call-up during the international window. So if, yeah, if you're big into Adam Buxa in Poland, uh, opportunity for you to get the away kit there. Only only fifty nine ninety nine right now, and you can use the 15% off with Revs Recap. So good good deal there. You know, I, I got to say, I, I realize there's a lot of, uh, of Polish fans uh, of the revolution. Polish, you know, Polish people that live in the New England area. Uh, I see them a lot on Twitter, and I didn't know that half of them were Polish until I start typing in all their characters that I apologize for my ignorance, but I don't know what half of those characters are. But I, I know that it's Polish uh, because Google says so. Um, and it's, it's really surprising to see to see that out there. And uh, it's really awesome to know there's so much diversity within uh, this organization see it all but yeah absolutely go get that uh go get that uh poland uh away kit uh from Galasso kiss it's uh yeah really awesome and kill two birds with one stone with that and with that we got a lot of great listener questions tonight the first one comes from sam minton on twitter sam minton from the bet musket who we should give credit uh to asking bruce arena consistently about these injuries even in the face of um the dismissiveness from bruce uh he wants to know your thoughts on tejon getting the gordy howe hat trick uh, you got the goal the assist and the yellow card what do you think of that chris look i'll tell you what gordy howe is regarded as possibly the best right winger in all of uh hockey history right uh all I could say is, you know, maybe Tejan is now on that projection. He's a right winger. Uh, so let's get those rumors going. He's going to be going off to whatever team he's going to, whether it's in uh, in Germany or uh, Club Bruges in Belgium. Uh, and that's just going to be his next stepping stone. He's going to become the greatest right winger in all time uh, of uh, football or soccer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and I got to give him credit for kind of keeping his head in this one because I I was worried he was going to get himself sent out of this sent off of this game. He he you know he it was a a late hit on Jeff Cameron where he you know kind of shoulder charged him, but it was it was a foul. Um, and Jeff Cameron, I think I think Tejan kind of took offense to the foul being called, and then Jeff Cameron took offense to that, and there was some pushing and shoving. Um, but he walked away. Uh, it, there was you know it could have gotten worse, and he walked away. Um, I was worried that he wouldn't. And then when he got subbed off, he was, you know, trying to go the long way. And uh, I, I'm blanking on which player it was from Cincinnati came over to like scream at him and try to get in his head. And he got a yellow card for taking time to get off the field. Um, but then he didn't react to the Cincinnati player kind of coming over and, and John with him. So um, I, I was worried about Tejan's maturity that, you know, a, a young guy that he was going to let those guys get to him and get himself sent off. And he didn't. So I got to give him a lot of credit for that. You know, and, and thankfully, Gustavo Bowe also came over to de-escalate the situation, specifically yeah. the talk, talking about the uh, Jeff Cameron one. And that's what I was referring to earlier when we were discuss, discussing about uh, FC Cincinnati's back line. And Jeff Cameron, he did show that veteran presence that I'm going to try to get into your head. He saw that opportunity come up with Tejan. I could see it anyway. I, like, he seemed to be really happy about how he uh, got into Tejan's head. After the situation. And, you know, that's just Jeff Cameron being Jeff Cameron. And he's just uh, being a nuisance out there and just trying to get in your head. 
And, and one thing I do have to say, though, about all that is uh, the referee, Fotis, I think, I thought he did a good job this game. Um, I thought he did a good job of calming that situation down. And I thought he called a pretty consistent game. He, he let, he, you know, he allowed a pretty physical game, um, but I thought he was pretty consistent about it. So, we, you know, we often talk about the referee when they do a bad job. I thought it was a pretty well, at least consistently refereed game tonight for the most part. And our next question is about Damian Rivera, who we mentioned quickly earlier, making his debut for the first team as a sub off the bench. Uh, Mike Bennell on Twitter asked, what were your thoughts on him as a sub? Yeah, I was really happy to see him come on, to be honest. Uh, he's a player that's been with the club now. I think this is probably his third season. Uh, and he's uh, obviously finally getting his debut after three years of being within the organization. It's got to be uh, such a, a relief and such a, an achievement uh, for for Damian Rivera, I thought his performance on the on the field, while relatively quiet overall, I thought he had a, a good performance. Uh, he passed the eye test to me. Uh, I know Sean, you and I were talking about it. He was seven of seven passing, which not a huge sample size, but still uh, a nice nice number to see there. It, I thought he played well. Um, not much that he could have maybe done better on. Uh, again, this was late in the game, and Cincinnati was was more or less pushing to try to get closer to an equalizer or something. Uh, obviously, they didn't do that. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of negative, not much criticism. I thought that he played well, uh, and I would like to see him get some more minutes. But uh, again, maybe in another situation similar to, to what we saw tonight, where uh, it's a 3-1 game against uh, a punching bag team. Yeah, I mean, I, I like what I've seen from Rivera in preseason games. I like what I've seen from him in the Revs 2 games I've watched. Yep. Um, it was nice to see him finally get minutes in the first team. Um, like you said, 7-for-7 seven seven passing. He did have one unsuccessful touch. I, I didn't see anything to me that made him look out of place. But like you said, it was a quiet game. And that was because the Revolution were up 4-1 to one and I think pretty content with their lead by the time Damian Rivera came on. So I, I thought he looked fine. I'd like to see more of what he can bring. There wasn't enough in this performance for me to say he should be, you know, getting more meaningful minutes when it's a close game. Um, but I'm, I'm glad he got his debut and, and I'm hoping that he'll get more situations like this one to, to get more minutes going forward. Um, because I, I do think he's a very talented player and I do think he's a guy yes. that can contribute to the first team. You know, I'm not sure it's going to be this season, but in the future, I do definitely see him contributing to the revolution first team. Robert, Chevalier on Twitter asked us a couple questions. The first one was, when was the last time we scored four goals at home? And I can answer that one. It was actually just last year on November 1st, but that was a quite a different game because it was a four to three win against DC United. That was a, a, a little less, um, a little less calm. And I think there was a bit more excitement in that one than, uh, than this game. Um, and then we had a bunch of questions uh, like his second question about Boateng, and I'll go kind of go kind of go through all those because I think we can answer all those t- together. Um, he asked, "Who would you rather have a left mid spot, Boateng or Arnor Trussison? Um And I should say quickly that you know it's I'm not sure Boateng starts this game if uh, Trussison hadn't gotten that red card. Um, as good as Boateng's been playing, it seems like Bruce Arena has been willing to kind of ride with Trussison this season because there were, there was that game earlier this year where Boateng played really well against Toronto, albeit in a loss. Um, off the bench, and then he, you know, didn't even play the next game. So um, I'm not sure he would have started if not for that red card. But he he played really well in this one. And then Cameron on Discord asked, "Is Boateng the solution at left wing we've been waiting for?" And not blue, not green. It's teal on Twitter asked after two strong performances, what role should Boateng, Boateng play going forward? So Chris, is is Boateng the new starter at left wing over Tristison? And if not, you know, what do you think his role should be going forward? I think this is a very difficult 
question to answer. As of this moment, I'm still maybe leaning toward Trisha Sinpi in the starter. And that's more, I think, due to the fact that if you look at Emma's performance tonight, it was obviously was a stellar performance statistically. Uh, He scored his goal in the 21st minute. And I feel after that goal was scored, his play seemed to really drop off. His crosses started to not connect. Uh, And the second half, he started to really slow down. And a lot of that spark that he brings to a game was no longer there. And maybe that's due to the fact that he hasn't uh, gone 90 minutes or close to it uh, in a long time now. Uh, But I'm wondering if maybe he is better suited to come off the bench. And when the Revolution do make subs and Emma Boateng is available, he is not typically one of the players that is being subbed in. Uh, If you look at the track record over the course of the season, uh, Boateng is often overlooked, uh, in my opinion. Uh, But I think maybe his best role as of right now is to come off the bench in the 60th, 70th minute to really uh, create a spark, especially when needed, uh, because the way that he's been playing for 20 minutes at a time has been uh, somewhat unstoppable. It's been sort of Tejan-esque when you think about the Tejan at the end of the 2020 campaign and through the MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, it's brought a, an energy, uh, and it's really revamped the way that the team plays. And maybe that's something that the Revolution could use in the 60th, 70th minute in a tight game uh, against a better opponent. Uh, you know, we're going to be seeing a New York City coming up really soon. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the next matchup. I could be wrong on that, but that's New York City is going to be a very, very difficult opponent. Uh, if we're facing Orlando again, that's going to be another good opponent. You're going to want a player like Boateng coming off the bench and really changing the dynamic and bringing pace into a game when the opposition has a lot of tired legs. So that's a long way to say my my opinion is Tristan should still be the starter. Uh, but I like what Emma Boateng brings, and I think that he needs to be coming off the bench sooner and more frequently. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I agree this is a really tough question for a lot of reasons. Um, there's a lot of variables that go on there. The, the Revolution played a way today that we haven't seen them play a lot this season, which is more of a, a 4-4-2, a flat 4-4-2 with kind of wingers. Um, and we haven't seen them do that much this year. We've seen it a couple times recently. Um, but, you know, if you're not, if you're playing the diamond that we've seen the Revolution play, Boateng, we've talked about this before, doesn't really have a role in that formation. So if that's right. if that's something they go back to, um, then no, he's not your starter. If they play a formation like like this, um, I, I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I really liked what he saw, what we what he did today, and and Chris, I agree with you. Has played, you know, dropped off after a certain point, but at the same time, I think both with him and Caldwell, it's not really fair um, because they've gone from playing you know fifteen twenty minutes to to starting, and nobody's going to do that and and be able to go ninety minutes and maintain the same level. So I think if he was going to be the starter, he kind of need to build it up over time to get to that fitness level. So I, I I agree with you that his play dropped off, but I do think he could get there um, to be able to go 90 minutes. Maybe, maybe not though, maybe not 90 minutes with the way he plays and how much pace he uses, maybe, maybe, you know, 65, 70 minutes, but even then you could still be a starter, especially with the five sub rule. Now you you can get away with that. Um, but I've, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I really, really like, like, like Chris said, players with speed coming off the bench. Um, you know, Buchanan's a player with speed that is so good. You have to start him. 
Boateng, I think, is a guy that offers a ton off the bench for the Revolution. Um, I think matchup specific, we might see changes. We might see Boateng start if the matchup, you know, suits it. Um, but other than that, I, I, I see him more as a sub. And again, like Chris said, maybe bringing him on sooner in games when you're trailing or sooner in games when you're tied and you need to, you know, score another you score a goal to get, get the win. Maybe even bring him on at halftime. Um, but I, I'd still see him kind of more of, as that super sub. Um, but with that said, I think he's done enough tonight to at least be a rotational piece and, and kind of matchup specific starter. But there's, you know, we, we got questions later about the Revs lineup, and I, I won't get into too much of it now, but there's a, a lot of variables right now with the Revs because of how good some of their depth pieces have been. Um, there's a lot of questions about the starting lineup and, and good questions to ask that are going to cause Bruce some difficult decision makings, and Boateng is certainly one of those now. So um, I, I, in my mind, him as a super sub is probably the role that best suits him even with this good performance, but I think he's earned at least, you know, situational starts going forward. I love that he's earned the acclaim of super sub now from you. <laughs> uh, I mean, every every team's got to have somebody like that. I mean, I, I've I, again I, since the beginning of the season, I wanted to see him more because of his pace. Um, and and you know, if you play as the Revs in FIFA, and <laughs> <laughs> which I have sometimes, bringing yes. Boateng on against tired legs is is a really fun thing to do. So <laughs> I like to see. That we all know FIFA too. is the best representation of real life too. So. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the next question came from TSB11 on Discord, and he wanted to know if Bruce figured out the secret for a strong first 15 minutes or if this is just FC Cincinnati. And to add some context, the Revolution have been pretty slow in the first 15 minutes of games throughout the season, including against DC midweek. Um, what do you think, Chris? Did he figure something out here, or was this you know Cincinnati being a terrible team? Uh, it, it, it's more Cincinnati being a terrible team than anything else. But yeah, I, I'm going to give some credit to Bruce because he came out and he employed a tactic that really worked. It was very successful against Cincinnati. It's not going to be successful against every other team. And you have seen, if you've been watching the Revolution this season, that the Revolution seems to start every single game with a different type of tactic from the previous matches that they've played. The way that the forwards and the wingers uh, were pressing and just really attacking the uh, and pressuring the goalkeeper at the back line, everything, the, the high press that they were putting on uh, for the first half, first half total, I guess the first 45 minutes, if you want to call it that, it was really impressive and it really uh, unsettled Cincinnati. They did not know how to respond to that. There was a lot of poor play, a lot of easy giveaways. Uh, so a lot of credit to Bruce for employing the correct tactic in this match, but uh, a lot more of, reason for the result of the first half is just because you are going up against Cincinnati. Cincinnati, I, I don't understand how they're so bad. They have a lot of talent on the pitch, but when they put it all together, it is just not clicking. It kind of reminds me of old revolution teams where you have a lot of talent on the field and you don't understand what's happening. Um, it, it, maybe it comes down to, to, to coaching. I don't know much about Yap Stam, uh, but this, uh, yeah, the Cincinnati team, so much talent. I don't know why they are as bad as they are, but that's where I'm giving a lot of the credit to the first half or the first 15 minutes, I guess, as the question was posed. Um, it's it's just Cincinnati being Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a combo, but I also I also tend to think it's you know it's more Cincinnati's terrible. It, it was kind of amazing to me how terrible they were in this game, oh. and but they you know they couldn't 
control someone like Boateng, who's again is a really good player, but you know he's he's not a world beater with his dribbling skills. He's a good dribbler, you know, don't get me wrong, but he was four for four um, <laughs> on dribbling attempts, which is which is pretty amazing. Andrew Farrell was two for two beating guys on the dribble. We all know what you know the Cristiano Ronaldo skills Andrew Farrell has. Uh, and and Kessler, Andrew Farrell almost scored a goal in the first. <laughs> that's half true. Well. He did. Uh, Henry Kessler. Um, had a successful dribble and also um, was kind of playing the, the Lucio role at one point, bombing forward, reminding me of the, the, the way Brazil used to play defense. Um, and I, I don't think that's, uh, you know, Henry Kessler's a fantastic defender, but I don't really think that's his skill set. But uh, Cincinnati, he looked like he had that skill set. Um, so, you know, it was a great performance from the Revolution, and Cincinnati also made them look really good. And the refs took advantage of it, absolutely. Um, but you no, know, I'm not convinced that you know this one good start means that Bruce Arena has figured out what you know what the Revs have been doing wrong in the first 15 minutes and is going to have them off to good starts going forward because you know they didn't start the second half well, um, which is you know another question of what, what did he say at halftime uh, because whatever he said at halftime didn't work. Take a break <laughs> so, from 10 minutes yeah. and then uh, start going. Yeah, yeah, and uh, now I think we get into the most difficult question uh, of the night. For she comes from Trey on Twitter. What is your ideal lineup when everyone is healthy? Um, personally, I don't see the the four four two flat working when Carly's heel is back. So, Chris, I'm going to ask you the question: What is your ideal lineup when everyone is healthy? And I'm going to start with the assumption that your back five is the same back five everyone else has: Jones, Kessler, Farrell, by. Um, with Matt Turner behind them. And actually, I'll say Matt Polster in front of them so we can get six players off the field and we can leave it down to five. Uh, so I'm, I'm, unless you disagree with that assumption of those, those six uh, oh. being the foundation, um, what does is, what is the rest of your five look like and how do they line up? I mean, honestly, you just named six players, but there's four other players that are absolutely going to be starting as well. You're going to have Bo, you're going to have Buxa, you're going to have Heal, and you're going to have Tejon Buchanan. So that leaves one player. There's only really one spot that's up for grabs, and that's that left-wing position. Are we are, are we going to see Tristison playing out there, or are we going to see Emma Boa tank? And I think I answered that with the, the last question, too. I still want to see Tristison out there. I think that he might be the best bet for the duration of the game. Um, but as you alluded to, maybe that's a little bit harsh for me because Boa tank has only been getting runouts for 15, 20 minutes at a time. This was his first start of the 2021 campaign. Uh, maybe Boateng is the solution there, but for me, I'm going to go with uh, with Tristison. And of course, you got to roll with uh, the four, one, three. Uh, I don't even know what formation I'm creating in my head well, right that's, now. That's the problem, though, right? Is is you're putting a very offensive formation out there where yes, you're, and we've seen Bruce do it, um, where Carlos Heel probably has to play more defense than you want him to play, right? Yeah, hundred percent, and I, I'll agree that's hundred percent going to be the issue going forward. However, I mean, if you look at the way the Revolution are winning games, it's been from scoring goals. Granted, that a lot of the games has only been with a one goal margin, but that's because they're scoring one more goal than they are allowing. Uh, so maybe the offensive approach might be the way to go. You still have a pretty solid, in my opinion, back uh, six as we have already established with Polster the back four and Matt Turner in net, you're not, you're going to allow some goals. Of course, it's not impenetrable defense, but it's uh it's a good enough defense to take you where you want to go. And if you could just put as many offensive pieces out there that are really going to produce goals and keep producing goals. Uh, currently the revolution have 44 goals for 
the last time I checked, which was about half an hour ago, uh, the second best team had 36 goals. Uh, so they're eight goals ahead of the league. And that was, I forget what team it was. I think it was uh, Kansas City was second place for goals scored in MLS. So the Revolution are scoring goals. And that's been the game plan for the season. And in my opinion, that's just the path that you have to take to keep going uh, and to get closer to that supporter shield and uh, hopefully MLS Cup. Yeah, so I I completely get where you're coming from, but I, I struggle with this more than you do. Um, and that I think that that lineup that you put out there um, is going to do very well against a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. But if you're going up against Seattle in an MLS Cup or Kansas City in an MLS Cup, a team that might have you know more possession um, and might have the Revs playing a bit more on the back foot, then you're asking Carlos Heel to do a lot of defending, and I don't I don't love that. So I think you're left with a really difficult question of you know do you know do, do you try to force a diamond with Buchanan in the center and I don't like that um if you know if you have like Carlos Hill at the top of the diamond and Buchanan is kind of like your right central midfielder I, I don't like that at all um and then you know as you're on the left side either Tristan because he's proven he can kind of play more centrally or or you know Captum or Martial um I I, I think you're really limiting or, or hurting Buchanan because Buchanan uh, is forced to kind of play a different role than I think he's comfortable with if you're, if you're requiring him to do that. Um, so I don't, I don't like that. So to me, I, I almost think you have to sit one of Bo, Buxa or Buchanan. Um, and it's, it's a kind of an impossible suggestion to make is that you sit one of those guys but I think when you're playing some of the better teams in the league, I, I kind of think you have to. Um, so that's that's where I really struggle with this. Uh, you know, you. I think if you're playing, you know, a Seattle, I, I, I still think you might want to sit one of Bo or Buxa. And they're playing so well together up top that it's 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 hard for me to do that. Um, but I I almost think that you know maybe you know whether it's Buxa or Bo up top, and then you have uh, Buchanan heel. And you know either Tristison or um, or Boateng if Boateng's playing really well as as kind of the three behind them, and then you have you know Poster and either McNamara or Martial, whoever the hot hand is, um, as your as your center or center midfielders behind Carly's heel. Uh, you know I think that's more of the formation you have to go with when you're playing one of the top teams in the league. But it's again it's it seems crazy to suggest fencing one of Boa with how well the two of them are both playing right now. Um, again, it's a good problem to have for, for Bruce, but I do think it's kind of a problem um, because I, I agree with you, Chris, that the lineup that you put out there is kind of getting your, you know, the be- your best 11 players on the field and it's going to work against you know, teams where you know the Revolution are really going to be on the front foot for much of the matches and you can just put teams away. Um, but, and I think the, rest, the rev schedule kind of allows for them to do that. Um, maybe not so much against New York City FC. I do think that would be a tough matchup. Um, but that's that's kind of my struggle there is I, I kind of think, you know, come playoff time when you're going up against really good teams that y- you have to you know, bench one of those guys and then kind of adjust depending on how the game's going. Maybe, you know, make subs if you're if you're losing, go more offensive. But I don't know. It's it's I find that to be a, a really tough question to answer. Um, and I, I kind of agree with Trey that the the flat four four two isn't ideal when Carly's heel is back. I agree with that as well. The 4-4-2 flat is not going to be the the long-term solution here. 
And I, I guess I can agree with what you're saying as well. So the Revs' best 11, you're looking at what, maybe a 4-1-3-2 formation. Uh, and again, it is very attack heavy. I still like to see that formation. Uh, maybe start with that formation. Uh, but I guess if you do go on the back foot, then you, you're kind of setting yourself up to not be able to to make more offensive moves going forward since you've already put it all out there. Um, and then, Sean, I guess a lot of what you're saying is take that 4-1-3-2. One of those two strikers is going to be coming off, and instead you're going to be putting in a Tommy McNamara, Maciel, Captoom, name your midfielder, Luis Caicedo if he ever comes back. Uh, and that's going to be your 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 set defensive center midfield uh, pairing with Matt Polster. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and I'm also okay with the diamond too, if you want to go that route, but then I think that means Buchanan doesn't play. So it's, a, it's either, either way it's a, it's a, you know, you're, you're dropping a player that seems undroppable. Right. And I mean, I guess if we're talking, if everyone's healthy, I guess Luis Caicedo is a hundred percent on the table there too. So would Luis Caicedo be in your, in your lineup for players that are healthy and playing as we expect them to play? Yeah, so I, I, this is, again, making the assumption that he gets back to the form he had before injuries because I, I don't know that when he's healthy, that'll be the case. But if, if it is, then I think he's very much in that mix um, you know, to be that other central midfielder beside Polster. Um, you know, I, I, in my head, I have him kind of on the same, the same general level as the other guys that are in contention there. And if he you know, returns to the form that he was in, he might... He might, you know, go ahead of those guys in the order. Um, realistically, at this point, I I don't see that happening. I think, it, you know, the fact that we haven't seen him all year, um, and you know that he was coming back in preseason and looked like he was going to be healthy at the start of the year, and then got. I don't. We don't really know what happened again, but um, you know, he's been out since then. I, I I struggle to see him coming back this season and being the player he was two years ago. But I do think if that did happen, that he'd be right there in the mix with you know Martial and, and McNamara and Captoom to be that that second. Uh, guy besides Polster, but again, I don't. I don't think that's actually going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I I made a tweet earlier this season saying I think that uh, we've seen the last of Luis Casado in a New England Revolution uniform, which I tagged uh, the the Cursed Rose account because you know they always call out everyone for their bad takes, and I, I am hoping that I'm wrong. Uh, I think. It's going to be the last we see of him. I don't think we're going to see him again. The, you know, that preseason own goal, I think, is going to be the last memory that we have of Luis Caicedo. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong because I, I've really enjoyed seeing him over the past few years. And, uh, yeah, I just I hope he has success wherever he ends up if it's not with the revolution. That'd be sad. It'd be the, the going from the Revs team that had three Caicedos to the Revs team with no Caicedos in a pretty pretty short period. Yeah, yeah. Fast turnover of Casados. <laughs> um, now, David Sabillion had a question on Twitter about one of your favorite players. Again, how much of a loss is Adam Buxa when he plays for Poland? So, yeah, I mean, I think a little bit of this will depend on the on the opponent that the Revolution are going to be facing. But overall, I think it's a pretty big big loss. So, uh, Gustavo Bo, I think, can, can handle the brunt of the load on his own. And then you're going to have uh, experienced players like Teal Bunbury, uh, young guys like uh, possibly Edward Kizza coming back. Maybe not now that we saw Justin Rennicks come up um, tonight. Uh, maybe Justin Rennicks has, has leapfrogged Kizza on the depth chart, which in my opinion would be a smart decision. Um, but one of those two young guys you have uh, as well as Teal Bunbury. 
I think that the Revs will fare all right without Adam Buxa. When he's not playing very great, I think the Revolution tend to grind out wins. And I think that's going to end up being what you'll see as far as the attack going forward when Adam Buxa's in Poland uh, with the national team. When Adam Buxa is playing very well, like we saw tonight, I feel like the offense is a bit more dominating. Uh, he's essentially that final piece to the offense. So when he's clicking and when he's firing on all cylinders, the offense is what you expect to see. It's beautiful football, it's goals, uh, or at least a lot of really good chances being created. Uh, uh, Gustavo Bo, without Carles Hill and without Adam Buxa, is going to be asked a lot uh, to, one, create goals and to score goals. Uh, he's not going to necessarily have anyone else around that's going to be expected to do either of those things better than he is going to do them. So that's my main concern with Adam Buxagon is uh, how much of the weight on Bo is, is going to affect his performance. But as I said at the beginning of this rant here, I think that Bo is going to fare okay. He's got so much experience, 31 years old. He's obviously a quality player. Um, it's a big loss, but I think that Bo will, will make it okay. Yeah, I agree with all that, and I think all of this is on the assumption that Carles Heel um, is not back for those games, which I, I think is a safe assumption, but I don't know because, like I said, we're still waiting for that update Bruce Arena promised us. Um, but, you know, when, when Carles Heel is back, if if Buxa is gone and, and Bo's available and Heel's available, then I think the Revolution are, are probably fine. Um, but if Carles Heel is out, then I agree with everything you just said, that, you know, there's a lot more pressure on Bo. Bo's done a really good job as a creator with Carles Heel out and setting up Buxa and you know Buxa provides that kind of target man presence in the box when you have when you are playing with wingers like Tejan and, and Boateng you know whipping crosses and you want that kind of big body of Buxa in there um to be that target so you know it does change how the Revs play when he's out um again all of this assuming Carles Hill is still out because we, we've mm. seen the Revs play without Buxa earlier in the season when Carles Hill was you know when they were playing that that kind of four five one or four two three one however you want to say it with Bo up top and, and Hill behind him and that that worked okay so um yeah it, it's it's a big blow for the revolution because because of the two of them playing so well together and, and just kind of along that same point uh John Useglio on Twitter asked what do you make of Bo and Buxa's partnership and Bo's role in creating goals and opportunities in the absence of heel and we, we you know we kind of talked about that that you know he, Bo's done a, a fantastic job and I you know had four key passes and an assist tonight and he's really filled in and I, I think Chris I think you mentioned it earlier but the the MLS article about you know the best creators in MLS and how um, based on expected assists, and both Carles Heel and Gustavo Bo were on that. So that's you know that just says a lot about what Bo's been doing from a side of you know, playing the creator in addition to his own chances. So um, you can't really say enough about how how good Bo's been in that role. Um, again, the finishing for him could have been better tonight, but the you know the creativity and setting guys up was was huge. Yeah, Gustavo Bo had a fantastic night tonight. Two chances created. He did have one assist. Uh, Obviously, he missed out on on getting that goal, but the partnership between Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa has really just blossomed over the last few weeks, I think, right in front of our eyes. We've really seen them connect, and maybe it's a little bit of the absence of Carly's heel forcing them to really find uh, that page to work on together. And it, it it's been really fun to watch. Gustavo's looking for Adam, uh, trusting that Adam's going to make you know finish the chances that that he gives him. And vice versa, Adam's doing the same thing. There was a play, uh, I forget what minute it was, it was in the first half, where uh, Adam Buxa was played the ball, and he played such a beautiful flick um, 
over to to Gustavo Bo down down the left wing, and the cross came in. I I could be even talking about one of the goals. I can't remember now. All the start all the players are starting to to meld together in my head. Um, but just that that flick on where Adam Buxa knew exactly where where Gustavo was going. Um, it it's just it, it's so fun to watch these two players learn just to play with each other and, and to build that chemistry and to, and to see it grow. Um, I, I asked the question last week to you, Sean, uh, what do you think the ceiling is for the, for the Bowen Books, a partnership? And do you think that we've seen it? Uh, I, I don't remember exactly how you answered that one, but I, I think that they still have quite a ways to go together. And uh, I guess going reverted back to the last question, Books going away to Poland is probably going to hurt that for a little bit. Right. But uh, the way the way that the rest of the season is going to go and into the playoffs, I think that we can expect a lot more uh, from Bo and Buxa playing together. Well, and now we got a question putting us on the spot. You're mad on Discord. Uh, has a, wants to know a kind of early prediction. Who finishes as the team's golden boot winner? Bo or Buxa? Both are in double digits right now. Buxa hit 10 goals tonight. Uh, Gustavo Bo is at 12. What do you think, Chris? Which one of these guys wins the golden boot for the Revs and, and maybe for the league? Yeah, I'm going to go with Gustavo Bo on this one. A uh, couple of reasons. I'll make them real short. First, uh, he's already got a two-goal advantage on Buxa. Uh, and second one, once Heel comes back, Bo is not expected to create as much. He's expected to score more. And I think those goals are going to continue to fall for him. He's a goal scorer. La Pantera, he's going to be fine in the net. Uh, golden boot for the Revs. I agree with you, Gustavo Bo. Same reasons as you, plus two more. Um, with Carles Heel out, he's taking the penalty kick, so that, that could get him another goal or two um, while Carles Heel is out. And, you know, Books is getting a call up to Poland. So, you know, he's missing yep. at least one game, possibly two. Uh, who knows if they, you know, get a call later in the season. Um, so I, I think that the safe choice is Gustavo Bo, and I'm going to go with the safe choice right now with, with Gustavo Bo. Join Chris. No, Buxa no. would need some really otherworldly performances over the next uh, few matches that he plays in uh, in order for him to to challenge for the Golden Boot. And, and knock on wood, that's all assuming everybody stays healthy. Yes. <laughs> that, we'll, we'll make that assumption, but I, I'm going to... I'm going to stick with the safe choice of Bo, but if, I mean, if Buxa does it, I agree, we'd have to have some pretty incredible performances. So you know, that'd be, that'd be fun to see too. <laughs> um, Tom Cato on Twitter said, my friend and I are thinking this was the least stressful game in a long while. Do you agree? I, I can't disagree with that. Can you, Chris? <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's the least stressful game that I could think of since then was probably the five to two victory over Minnesota United in 2017 or whatever. Uh, that game was pretty not stressful for me. Um, and this, this kind of rivaled that the only, only moments where I was a little bit stressed out was to start the second half where I was yeah. saying, where did this team go and what happened to the team that's on the field right now? Uh, but thankfully it didn't last too long. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can say the, the five, nothing went over Miami was, it was pretty stress-free too. Um, yeah, but those this game and that game kind of stand out this season as as pretty stress free because for the most part like like we said the revolution have been playing a lot of close close wins um so nice nice to have a, a stress free one uh james downing on twitter had a few questions for us and f- first he wants to know if you were paying attention to the broadcast did you know that dan o'brien kia's free money sales event is going on right now i don't know how you oh. could not know that <laughs> uh. I don't look. I don't watch Dan O'Brien commercials. Uh, his beard is uh, scary. It's uh, <laughs> that's not scary. It's it's very glorious, and, and my beard is jealous. So 
I think if I we if we ever do a video podcast, I think we got to get like the digital version of Chris, like the digital version of Dan O'Brien, that like the super creepy digital version. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking with that, but it's pretty creepy. Yeah. So it's like it's like the Bob's Discount Furniture Avatar yeah. series. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of ads that you see eight million times during Rose broadcasts, but uh, yeah. that's certainly one of them. And he also wanted to point out that Diego Fagundes scored again today. I think he also had an assist, uh, up to four goals in the season. Is is Austin still winning that game, Chris? I know you were watching it in the background. I think they're up there. Yeah, up it's big. ended. It's ended. They won three to one now. So, oh, so it's good good for them. They've been in a bit of a rough patch, so that'll be a nice a nice win for them to get. Um, and then his last question is, surely Stam has to be, the FC Cincinnati coach has to be on the hot seat here. Uh, FC Cincinnati has spent more money on players this year alone than the Revs have in their entire history combined. I haven't done the math to, to say whether that's actually true. Uh, but I, what, do you, what do you think, Chris? Is Stam, on, is Jap Stam on the hot seat? Uh, 100%. I, I mentioned Jap Stam at, at the beginning of the podcast for that reason. Because uh, if your team is performing the way that they are, especially with the players that this team has, uh, you should not be sitting as far down the tables as they are. You know, you're looking at the entire league, all 27 teams, they're in 25th place. Uh, Toronto is in last, and they've already gotten rid of their coach. Austin is uh, next in 26th. Uh, and, of course, expansion Austin. You can't expect an expansion team to, to do fantastic things or good things even. Um, so it's kind of expected. And then after that, it's just Cincinnati. And you know what? They've been pretty much uh, bottom of the league for every year that they've been in the league, except for what last year. I think they had a pretty good year, but that was it. Uh, yeah, Jap Stam, hundred percent on the hot seat. Yeah, I mean, they've Cincinnati's been a, a terrible team since they've come into the league, and I and I I think Jap Stam's definitely on the hot seat. I do feel a little bit bad for him because as much money as they spent, I think he in, inherited a pretty terrible roster when he took over. Um, he could, he certainly could have done more to fix it. I don't want to give him a pass. Um, they have spent a lot of money and they haven't spent it wisely. Um, but I, I think that was a poorly constructed roster for MLS from the very beginning and they've never recovered from it. And again, you know, Yapsam absolutely could have done more to fix it, but I think he walked into a bad situation, um, and, you know, didn't do enough to make it better. And for that reason, he's on the hot seat. But it's it's more the problems with Cincinnati are more than just the coach. I'll, I'll just say that. Well, I'd also say too. I know I know you love this point, Sean. Is that uh, one of Yap Stam's fixes is bringing in a designated player center back. So uh, you know, <laughs> uh, not necessarily where you want to want to put your designated player, Sean. I know you and I have talked about this several times about uh, uh, what to do with your designated players. But uh, yeah, that's not where you want to put them. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's disappointing that Cincinnati has been as bad as they have been because they came into the league with you know such a strong fan base, a passionate fan base, and and when a team is as terrible as they are, you wonder if you know eventually that that fan base that's so passionate is gonna lose. At least some of them are gonna lose a little bit of interest because they're they're not they haven't been a good team to watch. But hope, hopefully they right the ship. But absolutely, he's on the hot seat. Um, Eric on Twitter asked, "What did Justin?" say to the Cincinnati keeper. And I assume he's talking about when, when Renix kind of had that chance, unless I missed something. And if, if I did, Eric, please, please send us a, a tweet and correct us. But I, I assume he's talking about the situation where um, he had the, kind of the chance on, on goal and the ball was just a little bit too far in front of him. And the keeper came out and, and made the save. And I, I, I think Renix clipped him or something and, and wasn't the keeper wasn't too happy, but I don't know. I don't know any thoughts on what was said there. <laughs> 
No, I mean, maybe if uh, Renex is just saying, sorry, it's been a while for me or something. I don't know, <laughs> because it's uh, it's been a minute since Renex has been out there. I, I, I don't know. We could we could posture any sort of comments that you want you want to make up. But uh, no, no, no clue what he really said. I'm sure it was sportsmanlike. And yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point, up four to one, I, I hope it was whatever it was sportsmanlike. But yeah. uh, Alex Dolan from the Bent Musket uh, also asked us on Twitter. Let's talk about breakfast food because this game hasn't been competitive all. Chris, I think I'll save that for an episode. Greg's on. He likes to have the hot takes on the breakfast food. I don't know if you got you got anything for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't like eggs, so uh, breakfast foods is not really the, con- the topic for me. So, <laughs> well, well, that is a hot take in itself, but I'll, yes. I'll, I won't add to it. Um, and Paul Gerard, in a similar vein, uh, on Twitter asked that he uh, he said he missed the first half, but he wanted to know what is your favorite item on Galaco kits. Did you have time to prepare, Chris? <laughs> you know, uh, I haven't browsed uh, recently, uh, but the last time I was on there. Uh, there's a a Sweden kit that I've really had my own. I forget what year it is. I've been really looking at it and I've been really waiting to pull the trigger um, because I am Swedish. I lo- I don't have a Team Sweden kit and it's something that I really want. Uh, there was it's a it's an old Larsen kit if I remember correctly. Um, it it's uh, it's beautiful and it's very used, but that uh, doesn't take away from the beauty. If anything, that makes it better. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what my favorite item right now is. Uh, I need to get back on there and make sure that it's still available because uh, yeah, I, I do want that. Yeah, they, they've got a for me. They got a nice collection of uh, retro Spurs kits, and I'm a, I'm actually a fan of the 2015 home kit they have on there with a nice sash on it. Um, I'm surprised Alex Dolan didn't ask me about Spurs. My fellow Spurs fan instead had to ask about breakfast foods. A little disappointed there, but if I'm <laughs> if I'm picking a kit right now, I like I like that 2015 Spurs home kit they have on there. Um, be- before I wrap up, I did want to talk about two other things. One item we didn't get to, and that is something that I've brought up a few times on the show, but haven't really focused on. Um, we talked about it before we started a little disappointment in the way the schedule is this year, because we talk about how dominant and amazing the revolution have been. What we're not going to see this year is we're not going to see the Revolution play Seattle, who is the second best team in the league in the standings. We're not going to see the Revolution play Sporting Kansas City, who is the third best team in the standings. And we're not going to see the Revolution play the LA Galaxy, who is the fourth best team in the standings. We might see them play one of them in MLS Cup. Hopefully we will. Um, But we're not going to see any of that in the regular season. I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I am extremely impressed by how good the Revolution are this year. But I want to see them play the best teams in the league. And we're not going to see a lot of that this year. New York City FC is a team that has a lot of hype around them and, you know, has underperformed what the stats say they should be doing. So we got a great game coming up next week. But I, I personally am disappointed to be no to see the Revolution play Seattle, Kansas City, and the LA Galaxy this year because those are the teams that, other than the Revolution, have kind of been the class of the league in my mind this season. Seattle in particular, um, you know, there's been talk about Brian Smetcher being coach of the year because what they've been doing to be, you know, to have the second best record in the league, seven points behind the Revolution, which, you know, is, is a ways back, but not that far back when you consider that Ladero just made his first start of the season, their highest paid player, their number 10 fantastic player, made his first start of the season today. Uh, Jordan Morris, their third most expensive player, you know, good goal scorer, he usually gets 10 goals a season for them, hasn't played at all this season. Uh, Stefan Fry, one of the best goalkeepers in the league, um, played less than five games this year. 
their starting center back pairing, I think, has maybe played you know four or five games this season. Um, it's we talked we talked about Kellen Rowe even seeing some time at left back for them this year. It's been a a huge credit to Bruce Arena for what he's done with the Revolution with their injuries. Seattle's injury situation has been far worse than what the Revolution have had. And for them to have done as good as they have is an incredible story. And I, I for one, am sad we're not going to see the Revs play them unless it's an MLS Cup. Hopefully it is an MLS Cup, but otherwise we're not going to see it. Um, that's just one thing that, with with you know, given the pandemic, what's happened with the scheduling since the pandemic and less games against Western Conference teams with expansion and everything, that's just one thing that's been – uh, weighing on me is that it's unfortunate we're not going to see that happen. Yeah, I, I am 100% behind you on that. Uh, it, w- it would be nice to see them face some of the other uh, top dogs in MLS. The way that I also spin it, too, is, you know, maybe this is a, a odd take for me to have. I'm not really sure. But I'm looking at the, the way that the conferences are lined up. And in the West, you have the top uh, four teams are also within the top five teams in all of MLS, which in my opinion means maybe the Western Conference has some teams that uh, are easy to, to to gang up on, to beat up on, and uh, fall to the bottom. Whereas in the East, you have a much more competitive second to uh, 13th place or however many places are in the in the East right now, uh, 14 places. It's, it's a bit more competitive, except for when you get down to Cincinnati and Toronto. Uh so maybe there's a bit more competition. Maybe the East is a tougher conference than what it looks like. Or maybe I am just trying to spin a storyline to make it sound like the Revs are the best team in the best conference. I don't know. Uh, but I, I'm either way, I'm still a bit a bit disappointed that we're not going to see uh, Galaxy, Kansas City, Seattle's. Uh, we do get to see Colorado, but uh, yeah, the other teams I would like to see, especially Seattle, because I would love to see uh, Kellen Rowe. Uh, up against the Reds and see how he do because he's been starting. He's been uh, every he's been in pretty much every match this year for Seattle. So, well, one one thing I should note is um, I don't know I know people like to look at five thirty eight for their sports predictions. They have a the SPI the Soccer Power Index and the Revolution are number two at, at fifty point six and way above everybody else in the league is New York City FC at fifty eight point two. So whatever their algorithm is says that new york city fc is on paper the best team in the league so i guess this is a statement game for the revolution next weekend regardless of what we're saying about other teams um because they're not the 538 is not the only one that's saying good things about new york city fc we see power rankings come out where you know despite the fact that they're 18 points behind the revolution in the standings that some people might think they're better than the revs so i, I don't I don't think we can uh, we'd agree with any of that, um, but I, I guess on paper, with you know, with what people are saying, that uh, that makes this upcoming game against New York City FC one of the Revs' kind of statement games to finish out the season. So I guess we should be looking forward to that one. Um, and on that note, the Revolution now have a 59% chance of winning the Supporter Shield, according to 538. So uh, that's, uh, that's you you take those odds any day. <laughs> well, and if you want to talk about New York City too, real quick. They are first in the league on shots on target per match. And I think that is a huge piece as to why they're being ranked as high as they are. They're averaging 6.1 shots on target per match. The Revolution are third place at five and a half. Somehow Nashville is second uh, with 5.6. I, I don't see Nashville getting forward very much depending on the, the opponent. But I think that might have a lot to do with it. Uh, goals per match, New York City FC is also... Second place, only behind the Revolution, averaging 1.8 
goals per match. And uh, it's pretty pretty impressive to see uh, the stats that they are putting up offensively. Uh, and it makes you understand a little bit why they're getting so much respect in the power rankings. But it's still a bit head-scratching to see how much respect they're getting. Uh, I've seen odds that they are the hands-down favorite to win MLS Cup. It, I just don't understand where all of it's coming from. Granted, they have a few games in hand. Um, but they're still averaging 1.63 points per game. So if you can't win win your matches, I don't care how many shots on goal or goals scored you're having. Um, if you can't if you can't see your games through, uh, it it takes a, a lot away from your power rankings, in my opinion. I think there's uh, a couple of reasons why they're ranked so high. Well, the main reason is that people are obsessed with expected goals and. I, I do like looking at expected goals, but there's also you gotta you gotta there's algorithms that might the take it into account too in much. Goals. Well, well, that's so. Here's where I think people look at New York City FC. The expected goal difference they're by far the best in the league with a 17.8 expected goal difference because they have the lowest expected goals against at 16.75 and they have the third best expected goals for at 34.55 so if you if you take that in a vacuum you think that your expectations are that you know New York City FC is the best team in the league because they have such a great expected goal differential but then you have to actually watch them play and you realize they have Castellanos, who people talk about, you know, Buxa and the big chances he's missed. And he has missed several big chances. Let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush. He has. But if you look at Castellanos on New York City FC, he's missed about twice as many big chances as Buxa. And it's, the highlights or the lowlights from him are incredible. The chances that he misses are incredible. And unless you think that's going to change overnight, that's a big negative on New York City FC. It's it's great that they're creating goals, but when you can't finish because you have this expensive player, Cassianos, that is missing absolute sitters on a consistent basis, when you're doing that consistently, that's not bad luck. That's you know, that's talent and confidence and everything. And I don't think that's gonna switch on a dime because it hasn't all season. Um, it's it's and it, you gotta look at the lowlights of Castellanos if you haven't because they are incredible and at the same time, um, you know goalkeeping wise, they've conceded you know two point two five more goals than their expected goals and some of that also falls on the fact that their goalkeeper is not as good as Matt Turner so you know it's it's great on paper that their you know their expected goals um, and expected goal differential is what it is but you know a lot of that is also you're creating a lot of chances. And your striker is blowing them, and is that actually going to change? You know, that I, I don't know. I I, I like I'm I don't want to trash expected goals because I actually like the stat. But when you're factoring that highly into power rankings, I think you you know something's probably wrong with your power rankings. So Sean, if you're going to base some of your argument on big chances missed, I have some news for you because New York City FC currently have 34 big chances missed. They sit third in MLS. Second in MLS is Los Angeles Football Club with 35. But first is your New England Revolution with 37 big chances missed. So uh, I know they've played uh, three more matches than uh, the New York City, but uh, the Revolution still have three three more big chances missed than New York City Football Club. So if you're looking at the stats up and down, uh, I don't understand where there's such a big disparity, like what the discrepancies or whatever it is. 
uh, everything's pretty neck and neck when it comes to the revolution and New York City, maybe revolution are just one step ahead in almost every single stat uh, right now. But New York City deserve a ton of credit for uh, for what they've done so far this year. I mean, they ha- they have an impressive team. But Valentin Cassiatos, 17, yeah. you know, Buxa that has shift, 12. That Buxa shift has tw- this past week was uh, excruciatingly bad. Yeah, yeah. Buxa has 12 big chances missed, but he scored 10 goals. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. Cassiatos yep. has 17 big chances missed, and he's only scored eight goals. That, I, I mean, that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong to say that's not just bad luck, but at some point that's not just bad luck. Right. And that's where, I mean, that's my problem with expected goals. I think some people just look at it and assume if you're performing under your expected goals, it's bad luck, but it, there's a lot more to it than that. Like Gustavo Bo performs well above his expected goals. That's not just luck. That's because he's a really talented player that can, you know, score from distance and, and create and take shots that other guys can't. Uh, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. And you have to, if you're basing something on a on a formula or an algorithm, you're going to miss that. And and I say that as someone that gets uh, comments from some people that I rely too much on stats, but that's that's <laughs> my that's my take on that. Uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about: All Star Game Wednesday, August twenty fifth, nine thirty p.m. Eastern. Unfortunately for those of us on the East Coast, against the League MX All Stars. Matt Turner is going to be there. He's going to be playing in the skills competition. Tejan Buchanan is going to be there. Gustavo Bo is going to be there. I think we're all assuming Carles Heel is not going to be there. If Carles Heel is there, I have a lot of questions about what the heck the Revolution <laughs> are doing, sending him there when he's not ready to play for the Revs. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to say Carles Heel is not going to be there. Chris, you excited for this game? What are you What are you looking forward to in this I'm one? Very excited. And I'll tell you what: if Heel shows up there, maybe Bruce Arena's scheme this whole time has just been to throw off the Liga MAKs. All stars, so that they don't expect Carly Seal to be out there. Uh, I no, it, I mean, like you said, if, if Carly Seal is there, there's a lot of questions, but yeah, overall, I'm very excited about this all star game. Maybe less so, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but maybe a bit less so than, than I have been in years past. And I think a lot of that's because right now I'm way more excited about this revolution team than I am about the all star game. Uh, I don't necessarily want Turner Buchanan and Bo to go out there and maybe risk injury uh, when the league is essentially on the line for the revolution. Normally it's, hey, maybe we can get seventh place or sixth place and we can get uh, get one or two playoff games uh, this season. But this year it's a completely different story. I, I, want, I want Turner Buchanan and Bo to stay healthy. That said, I'm really happy for those guys. I'm definitely going to be watching the skills competition uh, to watch Turner. And the rest of the MLS as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a big MLS fan more than not, not a more, more of a fan than I am of the revolution, but uh, just overall, like I'm a huge MLS fan as it is. I, I, I don't care that much for the Prem or the other leagues. I'm MLS, um, you know, till, till I die basically. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for this, but at the same time, it starts at nine 30 on a Wednesday night. So I might fall asleep. Um <laughs> halfway through or whatever the 60th minute when the subs come on. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those ones where I, you know, I like watching the all-star game. I like you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the league. I like seeing the best talent. Um, it's exciting that there's three revolution players on it, but at the same time, you know, they're flying out to Los Angeles midweek when they have a big game coming up against New York city FC on the road. It's going to take a toll on, you know, those few players. Um, and they're just coming off a week where they played three games. So, 
uh, that is not ideal. And you know, if you're if you're being honest, I think you'd rather have the revolution players, you know, not participate and and stay home. Which obviously, you know, that's not going to happen. It's exciting for them. It's a big opportunity. There's probably bonuses written into their contracts for playing. But if all you care about is the revolution winning the supporter shield and putting their best foot forward to win MLS Cup, then you're better off with them not you know, going midweek to Los Angeles and then coming back for the New York City FC game. But with that said, it's exciting. I like the new format against the League MX All-Stars. So I, I, I'm excited for it, but also, like Chris, um, wary of any Revolution players getting hurt and the, the wear and tear of flying across country midweek before an away game, a very big away game against New York City FC. So um, <laughs> conflicting, conflicting thoughts there. Um, and then with the international window coming up shortly after that too, then some of these guys are going to be you know, flying away for international games pretty quickly afterwards too. So that is a lot of a lot of tear on these guys flights wise. When um, when we talk about the you know we talk about not playing the Seattle's, uh, the Kansas Cities, and the LA's of the world, you know part of that is making it easier for teams during COVID and everything to to not have these long flights back and forth. And this is kind of changing all that, especially this coming right before the international break. Well, not break, what should be a break. <laughs> right. Um, and Chris, did you have any final thoughts be- before we wrapped up? Any topics we forgot to cover? I'm not sure if there's much that we forgot to cover. Uh, I know I've been rambling on far more than I probably should have. Uh, the only other thing that I really want to talk about, I guess it's looking looking forward at the City game. Uh, we have a, an away game on Saturday, and then after that it's a, it's a home game again versus New York City. So it's back-to-back games versus New York City FC. Uh, I want to know what players are going to be there, who's going to be injured, who's going to be uh, tired or, or getting rest because they played in the All-Star game, who's going to be away on international duty. These next few weeks are going to be very interesting uh, to see what sort of roster uh, Bruce rolls out there. I'm expecting a lot of people or a lot of players to be coming up, maybe from Revs too. Um, and just curious to see how, how it all goes and uh, hoping for the best that the Revs can keep on rolling. Uh, I know uh, no we had no comments at all about uh, are the Revs going to be able to get uh, the, the record for points in a season. So we'll have to see if that train keeps on going. And then uh, also I wanted to quickly give a sh- shout out to Matt Turner because uh, the last podcast that we did, I don't think we said Matt Turner's name once tonight. We've mentioned him only about the all-star game uh, have had no talk whatsoever about Matt Turner. He's been pretty solid as expected. Um, but yeah, shout out Matt Turner and uh Go revs from me. So yeah, I'll let you finish that song. I I just gotta jump in quickly and say that Eric, who had asked about Justin Reddix earlier, got asked to clarify his comment. I think and uh, by somebody else and mentioned that the keeper got really animated as Justin walked past him after the tackle, and there was some more histrionics where the ref was actually holding the keeper back. I missed that, uh, and he said his favorite was it appeared that Reddix. Uh, said he couldn't hear because of the crowd noise. <laughs> so that that adds a little bit more context. I, I for one, am happy to kind of see the the swagger of some of these young guys and the revs, whether it's Tejan or I guess whether whether maybe Renick's there. Um, as long as it doesn't cross the line towards uh, getting getting too into something and getting a needless yellow card, but uh, they avoided that today. So I, I for one, am kind of happy to to see that that swagger. So thank, thanks, Eric, for for clarifying that. Now I want to go back and watch and see if I can I can see more of that because I think I missed the part where the ref was holding the keeper back. <laughs> oh, I missed that too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but on that note, Chris, where, where can people see you on social media? Yeah, I'm always over on Twitter. You can find me at Chris Lucas, Or if you want to just talk Revs with me, I'm over at Revs Revolt at Revs Revolt. 
And you can find me at Sean L. Donahue. You should follow the podcast at Revolution Recap, both on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't yet, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever else you listen. I think we're, we're doing pretty good on iTunes ratings, but I think some of the other, the other places uh, we could use a few more on. Um, so we'd appreciate that if you do. Um, I don't think we'll be doing a podcast after the All-Star game, but we will be doing a podcast next weekend after the Revs game, after the New York City FC game, which, as we said, should be an exciting one. Um, and we'll keep you posted on Twitter on when that is. Thanks again for listening.